I'm trying to think about what's stuck in my head. It might just be Bill and Ted. Um, Listen, I hmm. this week. <laughs> no, you you Mass Effect came out this week and you had access to it. I understand. <laughs> I know. It's just this is a week where I'm like, what if we did a read, watch, play version of <laughs> stuck in my head. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, uh, Six Shooter Pete. Uh, Pistol Pete, that's way better. There we go. Uh, Pistol Pete Romberg. Uh, and with me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Uh, Martha, and I didn't know that we were coming up with cool nicknames. I'm caught completely off guard. Well, the tables are now turned because you usually have a cool thing to describe yourself by, and I'm usually the one caught off guard. So. It's true. This week I am simply I am I am the first human specter on the Citadel. I was gonna say you're you're femship, Martha. <laughs> I only assume you're a femship. I don't know. You could be mal mal male ship. Yeah, but his voice actor sucks. Mm, fair enough. Uh so this is Did You Do Your Homework, our pop culture podcast. Uh we are going to be talking about found families this uh this week um we're gonna be looking at two well one amazing movie and one amazing tv show that unfortunately now has a bit of an asterisk next to it uh, but it's still real good um but before we get into that it's only fair that we talk about what is stuck in our head this week this is whatever piece of pop culture basically it's our excuse to talk about whatever piece of pop culture we've consumed and we want to talk about uh so as uh Video game knowledgeable listeners might have picked up. Martha uh, definitely has a serious stuck in her head this week. So, Martha, why don't you start? Well, first of all, spoilers. Um, second of all, I do want to say that this week I seriously considered trying to compete into letting me do a read watch play of stuck in my head so that I could talk about multiple things. Here's the thing. Um, I, I, I could actually do that this week. <laughs> Many weeks I couldn't. This week I could. Yes. Um, but truly it is that the Mass Effect Legendary Edition uh, did come out on Friday. And Mass Effect, I believe I have spoken not at length, um, but at least a bit. They are my favorite video games ever made outside of the Pokemon franchise. Um, I started playing them when Mass Effect 3 originally came out because nerds were so mad about the ending. I thought, hmm, this sounds like it might be pretty good. <laughs> if, if, um, uh, if, if nerds online are mad about it, it must be okay. It must be worth checking out, at least. Essentially. Um, and yeah, I'm obsessed. It's a problem. Now I have an excuse to play all three of them again. I am very excited. I am already about seven or eight hours in i have rescued the good dr liara i am cooking with gas baby <laughs> i love these games so much <laughs> you got garris yet oh yeah okay in it's, number it's one, been it's been a while one. since i've i've played oh yeah no in number one he he joins you as soon as you leave the citadel ah, it's not cool. until two spoiler alert for mass effect 2 that you have to go um, find him where you have to like go find him right right Cool. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's, it is a good thing that I don't have a way to play this. Um, because otherwise I'd be in the same boat that you are. And that boat is called the Normandy. <laughs> My beautiful ship. <laughs> um. Getting to drive the Mako again. I fundamentally do not trust people who think, who don't like to drive the Mako. It is a beautiful piece of ridiculous golf cart technology, and I love her. Um, that's the one problem I had with Mass Effect 2, was they took my, they took the Mako away, and I had to drive that stupid hammerhead. I don't like driving, like, I am very much someone, so I've, I've been playing um, Assassin's Creed Pirate, uh, which is the fourth one. Black Sails? Mm-hmm. No. No, that's or, a, that's that, a that's TV, TV show. show. Um, whatever, it's Assassin's Creed 4, colon... You're a pirate now. Um, yeah, the pirate one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the boat, the boat part is amazing. And then like doing some, like doing some good 
hanging out and pirating stuff, super fun. And then you have to, like, play the actual game and do the missions. It's like, now you have to sneak and listen to people. I'm like, this is not why I'm playing a pirate game. Come on. <laughs> I'm here to rob ships you... and do stuff. I thought you said you didn't have a way to play Mass Effect. Um, I used to have an Xbox 360. That's how I played Mass Effect the first time around. I no longer have an Xbox 360. I guess I have a PS4. I was going to say, you do understand that the Legendary Edition came out on, like, every console. Did it come out on Switch? No. Okay. <laughs> so, like, in my it like, I have, I technically have a PS4. In my mind, it's a Blu-ray player. Uh, so literally, up until this moment... How are, you How are you playing Assassin's Creed? Switch, baby! Oh! It, it, uh, Assassin's Creed 4 came out on Switch in, like, December 2019 or something. Um, gotcha. See, I don't care about Assassin's Creed, so that's why I. Um, but yeah, it works. You can get you can get Mass Effect Legendary for PS4. Okay, I should maybe forget that you told me that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know, who knows? We'll see. Um, <laughs> what is stuck in my head this week is not uh, Assassin's Creed 4 or Mass Effect. <laughs> um, and it actually, it was for a moment going to be Bill and Ted's Face the Music um, because I saw that with Martha in person in a movie theater in Chicago. And hey, it's delightful. that was just the best. Um, but truly what was what stuck in my head is uh, I'm looking at my whiteboard right now that I usually use for work. Uh, but it currently has a diagram on it of a building that I ran a heist through in a, uh, single-page RPG called Honey Heist. Um. <gasps> bears! You were yes. playing as bears! Yes. Um, <laughs> so my, my normal D&D group was supposed to return to Avernus last week. We've been running a long-form, uh, uh, D, D game uh, using the module Descent into Avernus. Somebody couldn't make it, so one of my other players, um, offered to to GM for the first time a, a one-page RPG, and he selected Honey Heist, the premise of which is that you are a group of bears, uh, thieving bears, and you are breaking into HoneyCon 2021 to steal, uh, his HoneyCon was in Humboldt, California, and so we were trying to steal the mega dank honey, um, <laughs> the sticky icky, uh, as it were, and, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a very simple one-page RPG, with the premise of which is that you have a very complicated plan, and that you are bears, and that you are also all wearing hats, because that's amazing. Um, Look, the hats are very important to my appreciation of Honey Heist. I was a washed-up grizzly thief wearing a flat cap, and it was a lot of, of fun. <laughs> you said grizzly? Grizzly, mm-hmm. We, we we rolled randomly for for all of our stuff, so nice. Yeah, uh, no, it was a lot of fun. We had a, a, a very well rounded team, and yeah. Did you actually use the whiteboard to plan your heist? No, he drew Aww. a um. Uh, we we did not use any sort of like roll twenty or whatever. We had like a, a Google spreadsheet open just of like everyone's like bear and thieving skill and, and everything else um got and it. he had he had hand drawn a map of the building that we got from uh a raccoon friend who drew this <laughs> map for us uh but because it was a hand-drawn map and he was just holding up to the camera i then on the whiteboard uh reproduced the map um and then added other things such as a big circle saying the real sticky icky mega dank honey is here fantastic <laughs> yes yeah no it was it was a very fun time uh, just as a side note, because I feel like I've brought a video game to stuck in my head like every episode for the past several episodes, <laughs> I am actually reading a book, which is a very good book. It is called Hex by Thomas Old Hugh and it is one of the scariest things I've ever read. Ooh. It's about a witch and a haunted town. It's very good. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. This is, uh, yeah, up my alley. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about found families and um, Furious 7 and some Firefly episodes. So, stick around.
And we are back. Uh, so this week's episode is all about found families, and we've got a bevy of uh, very enjoyable homeworks that you consumed. Uh, and we're going to start by talking about the show Firefly. Um, Firefly was a uh, TV show, a space western drama that uh, came out back in, I'm going to go, looks like 2002, um, created by Joss Whedon, who nowadays needs an asterisk, but, you know, whatever, um, and uh, stars uh, Nathan Fillion as Malcolm Reynolds, Gina Torres as uh, Zoe, Wash Zoe Washburn, Alan Tudyuk as uh, Hoban Washburn, um, Marina Bakarin, Adam Baldwin, Jewel Strait, Sean Mayer, Summer Glau, and Ron Glass round out his ragtag crew. Uh, I'm using the term crew very loosely here. Uh, and the two specific and you know, it's a sci-fi space western, so they were on the losing side of a of a civil war, or a war of conquest. Um, and and now they're you know running their boat, the Firefly, doing smuggler missions and stuff. Um, doing crimes, doing crimes, sometimes helping out the little folk because, you know, they all they all got a soft spot for the little folk. Um, the two specific episodes like this show is only 12 episodes long. It's a nerd staple. If you are of a millennial generational mindset and are a nerd, you have seen the show probably multiple times. Um, the two specific episodes that I wanted to watch were Out of Gas, which sort of shows how Mal got his crew together. Um, when the show begins, um, we get Simon and River Tam, a uh, doctor and his psychic sister, uh, join the crew because they're on the run from the authorities. We have, uh, um, uh, Ron Glass's character, uh, Shepard Book joins the crew for undisclosed reasons, possibly also on the run from authorities. Uh, but, but the rest of the crew is already in place. And Out of Glass is the episode that shows how that crew all came together, uh, through flashbacks as they are dealing with a massive um fire that uh, strands the uh, serenity in space fires in space are bad um so we're dealing with like it's a survival situation and a how we all got here kind of uh episode heart of gold then is an absolute uh magnificent seven slash seven samurai thing where they are called upon by a uh, a whorehouse to defend said whorehouse from a, a bordello, perhaps, uh, from a... I was going to say, you, you couldn't think of a single better phrase to use there. I mean, the uh, the term whore gets dropped a lot, mostly because they're not companions, and that's kind of part of it. Um, but it doesn't, it's... I mean, doesn't super make it... Bordello. I, I would say, I would say brothel. Brothel? Sure. Um... One way or the other, uh, we've got to defend uh, this brothel, this bordello, from a the cruel and wealthy and powerful like leader of the moon uh, <laughs> called Deadwood uh, that it's on. Um, because he's it's looking... Not... It's not called Deadwood, is it? It's called Deadwood. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. Okay, yep. continue. It's a space western, <laughs> and we do both. Um... Uh, because because the cruel and uh, uh, evil and powerful man is um, thinking that one of the uh, pregnant women is pregnant with his kid and wants a kid and she doesn't want to give him up. Um, cue your seven samurai situation where uh, the crew of uh, Serenity come in and uh, be big damn heroes in the parlance of the show. Um, I think Firefly is an ex like. Joss Whedon, for all his many faults, does a very good job at creating shows and then movies like Avengers of found families. Uh, Buffy, Firefly, Avengers, they all hit these marks and they do it very well. Um, Firefly, I think, is an excellent example of this. And beyond that, it's also a uh, basically like a boat or a ship story. And I think that a lot of those also tend to be very good found family stories because... When you're in tight confines with other people and there's no one else around either, you get very close familial bonds or you all murder each other. Um, on the other hand, and, and a thing that definitely comes up in Out of Gas as like a, a conflict point between some of the characters, a boat is not like a normal family. There is a captain who must command and, and all the rest of it. It's a very top-down patriarchal, even if the captain's a woman, where it's... It is absolutely a family, and their their relationships with each other are familial, but also it is a, like, professional 
hierarchical situation. So sometimes there is tension between the found family and the biological family, or between like the family dynamics and the we need to make some hard choices to maximize survival um, situation. Um, so I, I think something like uh, like a Star Trek, um, any sort of submarine movie, uh, any sort of boat movie, like is going to be playing with a lot of these ideas. Um, Firefly being, you know, in space has there's a little bit some of the characters could leave the boat at any time but they choose to stick around because of the family dynamics i think um yeah i've been talking for a while martha uh so something that i've been thinking about quite a bit in relation to joss whedon and um his penchant for found family stories um is just on a more meta level like, we can all agree now that having Joss Whedon's name be attached to a project is no longer the automatic win. Like, it's it's no longer an automatic, oh, I'm into that, I'm going to watch it kind of deal. Yeah. Um, But his older work, like, specifically, I think, Buffy and Firefly were not only about them themselves about found family but i think also inspired a lot of found family type community like the the fanaticism with which people are devoted to those projects mm -hmm. is very similar in feeling like it is clear that for a very long time telling somebody that you were into firefly or buffy was like an almost instant way to connect with somebody. It's, it, it's a nerd shibboleth. Yes. You've seen the West Wing episode where they explain shibboleths. I have. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's the passphrase. Uh, it's, it's the clue that you are part of the community. Yeah. So I think it is on a meta level interesting how these these stories that are about finding family have been used for other people to kind of quote unquote find family. I mean, like I, I have a friend who named his dog Hobie and I knew he was a big Firefly fan beforehand. But if I even if I didn't know that, it's like, oh, my dog's named Hobie. It's like, oh, after Walsh? It's like, yeah, cool. Um, I have a friend whose daughter's name is Zoe. Oh, ah, well, yep, there we go. <laughs> which is which is a good name. And like you could oh, yeah. like if you didn't know, it's like, oh, that's a great name. But also, if you know he's it a is. big Firefly fan, it's like, huh, well, there we go. It is a great name. It is also very definitely an homage. Right. Um, I also truly love, just as a plot device, the crime family, the quote unquote, like bonded by crime. Mm -hmm. um, we will talk about this with our next homework as well. Um, but I definitely think that a lot of Firefly is about trauma bonding, trauma bonding, and like these people not only live together on this enclosed space, but they end up sharing a lot of these very traumatic experiences. The more of which you kind of stack on top of each other, the closer they become, just because no one else in the world shares these experiences. Well, I and I wanted Firefly specifically because. I agree 100%, and then some, it's layers of trauma bonding. Uh, Mal and Zoe were, like, compatriots in the war that they lost. They were the ones who knew each other first, and that's, like, the initial trauma bonding. And then you have, you know, Wash and Zoe are a married couple, so, like, there's that connection. And then you have the new traumas that we see this this crew suffer during the show. Um, so there's, like, there's depth and there's layers happening here. Um, um, and, the, and then this all gets, like, compounded or or complicated even by the movie later, where, where things go, you know. Well, and I talked you out of assigning the Ariel Hospital episode, even though that is kind of a great example of, um, like, like what like it that's, looks like. That's where, like, like, Simon and River are part of the crew, and Mel's like, Jane, they are part of the crew, like. Right. It's so, so when when Jane, even though they are all they are all criminals, um, at a certain at a certain level, they are all kind of in it for the money. But when you have somebody who betrays the family to get that dough, 
Like that's the unforgivable part. Right. Like we are, we are no longer just in it for the money. We are also protecting our family. Right. Like you like you have like, yes, we're in it for the money. Yes. We're all criminals, but we have crossed a line. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, specifically so heart of gold yeah so you you talked me into heart of gold and it's honestly an episode that i always forget about it never clicked with me the way it clicked with you so i was gonna say it is truly one of my favorite episodes of the show um and part of that is because a i love a montage Mm. and this one has that fantastic like getting the getting the the brothel ready for the siege like bolstering our defenses and you know, making sure everyone knows how to shoot a gun. Um, like, I love that scene in any any property that's that's got it. Well, and also, um, like, hearkening back, it's it's your Magnificent Seven, your your Seven Samurai of, like, we got to train the locals how to, you know, be borderline effective here. Um, I also love it when anybody has to deal with their feelings and Inara has to deal with a whole lot of feelings. <laughs> Mal does too. It's a it's a feelings episode. Mal does less. <laughs> like I mean, Mal does less only because he's arguably like the main character of the whole show, so we've seen a lot of these feelings. Whereas Zanara's are much more, um, like it's her episode. Yeah, and I love so the the woman who is running the brothel is a failed companion named nandy both mara and i were convinced it was christina hendrix until i rewatched the episode and i'm like that's not christina hendrix i was gonna say christina hendrix is in firefly but this is not the character that she plays we were confused (laughs) but we were both confused (laughs) (laughs) um no but nandy rules um and she and mal have clearly um she and Mal have chemistry. She and Inara know each other. She bones Mal. And then Inara is like having a lot of feelings about that. And Nandy is like, girl, if you told me, I wouldn't have slept with your boy. Mm-hmm. It's a very good dynamic that I enjoy quite a lot. I get very, very upset when Nandy dies at the end. Like, that's such a. I don't know. I. It, it, it is absolutely. Joss Whedon loves killing female tertiary female characters to create a good emotional heart-wrenching scene and this is I was gonna say, part of that it felt like such a cheap way to resolve that emotional dynamic like oh now mal doesn't have to deal with this because nandy is dead <laughs> right but also like in the moment of watching like a 45 minute television show with three commercial breaks you get that like oh they shot nandy moment um it is absolutely cheap yes <laughs> but yeah it's it's a lot of like like it's kind of uh it's a coming to a head for a lot of these characters about the emotions they've been feeling over the last however many episodes like um ooh 12 this one's this one's like 10 it's episode 13 it's not the it's not the last one no that's episode 14 this is episode 13 okay yeah, I'm, like I'm on wiki right last... now, which is how I have this information. <laughs> yeah, it's like the second to last episode. Yeah. Um, and it is definitely better than the last episode. Oh, I love the last uh, episode. Oh, I hate it for a lot of reasons. Oh, okay, well, um, this is not that episode. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so that... I love, I love Heart of Gold because it is, you know, forces people. It also has a very um, interesting contrast between the found families of both Serenity the ship, mm. the sex workers in the brothel, and then the, like, actual blood family who sucks. <laughs> like, the, da- the, the man who is the father of this woman's child is the villain and is horrible, and is in direct contrast to her incredibly supportive um, chosen family of sex workers at the at the brothel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speak on Out of Gas a little bit. I feel like I've talked about Heart of Gold for a long time. <laughs> uh, out of Gas. When I think of Firefly and I think of Found Family, Out of Gas is the like. That has to be one of the options. There are many other good ones. Uh, Ariel was one I was pushing because that's one of my favorites. Out of Gas might be the best episode of Firefly. 
And it also might be the best episode, one of the best episodes of TV of like the 20 aught, like the aughts. Um, it is a, the way it's structured is very compelling. It is uh, flashbacks to various different degrees. It's a multi-layered flashback situation where um, in the present, Mal is trying to fix Serenity, uh, which has, uh, a part has gone bad uh, and he's bleeding out from some sort of gut shot that we don't know anything about. In the next layer of flashback, uh, we see what happened, which is um, everyone sitting around the table celebrating uh, Simon's birthday. That was a perfect episode of Found Familyness, as we're all getting together and, you know, having a good birthday celebration. Uh, and then a fire breaks out on the ship. Fires on ships in space are bad. Uh, they have to vent it. Um, Venting it into space also vents a lot of oxygen out into space, so the fire problem is solved, the oxygen problem is now beginning, because it turns out that uh, some, you know, MacGuffin part on the ship has broken. Um, and then we go further back in flashbacks to just how Mal got the crew together, how he met Wash and Kaylee and uh, Jane. Um, I think those were the only three that he, that we met through flashbacks, right? Yeah, those are the Wash, only Kaylee, three, Jane, already... and the 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 screw up first uh, mechanic who gets replaced by Kaylee. Oh, and Inara. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, like, we we get to see how they all come together and how those dynamics sort of were built and change, um, and then how those those dynamics are lived out in sort of their day to day like normal running of you know. Being on a ship together, being in close confines, celebrating each other's birthdays, having the fun but awkward comment of how did you know it was my birthday? It's like, oh yeah, there's a new warrant out for your arrest and it included your birthday. Uh, but everyone <laughs> just kind of laughs about it. It's like, haha, isn't that funny? Great. Blow out the candles on your cake. Um, and then, you know, sort of the, the end game of like Mal will die for his ship because his found family is absolutely critical to him. He does everything he can to save them. And at the end of the day, like, Serenity is kind of also part of his family. Like, he he's an old-school captain, he's gonna go down with his ship, and that's partly because his ship is his home, and he is going to, you know, defend it with his last breath. And that's also part of that sense of family. It's like, it's a family, but it's also a family tied to a specific place. And this place is a ship that can go anywhere, but also, it's definitely, like, that. the ship is part of that family as well, in a very integral way. Um... And this episode, I think, really highlights that. Well, and also, well, that's the other flashback that we get is mm -hmm. Zoe and Mal meeting the ship. Mm -hmm. One, well, and it it starts with a like you think he's buying Serenity, and at the very like the very last scene is you realize that the guy who he was haggling with was trying to sell him a different ship, uh, mm -hmm. but then he he didn't go for it. He went with he went with uh, Serenity. Um, very, very much a scene that reminded me of the bit in uh, Force Awakens where uh, Rey and Finn are running past a hunk of junk to get to the quad hopper, and then the quad hopper oh. blows up, and then we have to go to the hunk of junk, and it's the Falcon. It's the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Did I tell you, did I ever tell you my theory about the Millennium Falcon? I've been told by Star Wars fans that my theory does not hold water, but I choose to believe that it is true. I don't know if you have. Um, that the reason that um, Finn and Ray are so good at flying it, and at the end when they're like, that felt so good, everything, like, you know, felt preternaturally awesome. Right. My theory is that the Falcon has been around so many powerful Force users that it itself has absorbed some of the Force. Mm. So they were, even though, even though Ray is a totally legit pilot in her own right, don't even at me, um, the ship itself has, like, kind of taken on some of that personality. On the one hand, my extended universe knowledge basically ran out before it all became non-canon, so I am not super, <laughs> like, I am not a up-to-date enough Star Wars person to respond. Option two, doesn't feel like how the Force works. Statement three, every movie the Force changes, so sure, that actually sounds reasonable enough. Do I strike you as a person who particularly cares about how the Force works canonically? Uh, no, and also, I want to be very clear, <laughs> every single movie, the way the Force works, like, 
changes in some way or another and like and that's not a bad thing like like we all like when we were growing up it's like yeah obviously bad jedi can do force lightning that didn't show up until return of the jedi like before that bad jedi cannot shoot lightning out of their fingertips you know so if in episode 11 uh you know or 12 it's like oh yeah the the falcon is force sensitive i'm like cool (laughs) more space wizards for everyone it's not that the falcon is force sensitive it right, is just simply imbued with the force yes it is one with the um, force the force is with it and i feel as though we have gotten sufficiently <laughs> sidetracked that we should move on to our second piece of homework yes uh so martha what uh impeccable film did you assign i'm not being facetious right. so we are doing this topic because I was rewatching all of the Fast and Furious movies, and I said, Pete, think of a way for us to do an episode on the Fast and the Furious movies. And my response was uh, the obvious and correct response of family. Family. Uh, so I selected two th- the 2015 masterpiece, Fast 7, uh, which is the origin of the iconic line, I don't got friends, I got family. <laughs> um... It is the story of Dominic Toretto and Brian, whatever his name is. He's Paul Walker. Paul, and and Paul Walker. Use... It's, it's Dominic Toretto and Paul Walker. I was going to say, I will use these character and actor names completely interchangeably because. Yeah. Because yeah, the, it characters, don't matter. the characters don't matter. It's, it's Paul Walker <laughs> and it's Vin Diesel. And like, yeah, Michelle Rodriguez is there and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So what has happened is in Fast 6. Jason, we find out that Jason Statham traveled back in time and killed Han, one of our favorite characters who died in the third movie in Tokyo Drift. And so now, since Han was part of Dominic Toretto's fast car crew, the seventh movie is a family. Yes. The seventh movie is about hunting down Jason Statham in order to kill him in retribution. Well, and also Statham um, begins the movie by trying to murder a bunch of them. So like it is a we're here for retribution, but also you planted a bomb on my house and blew up my house. Right, because in the fifth one they blew up his brother. That was the fifth one. Sixth one. I, in the sixth one. Sorry. Okay, in the I, sixth one they blew up his brother. I have seen five, six, and seven. I think those are the only ones I've seen. And I thought that half of what happened in this movie happened in number six. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they have to do a side quest first assigned to them by. The great Kurt Russell. Russell. <laughs> yes. In one of my uh, favorite introductory help, scenes. He plays, he plays like a shadow government guy who recruits them to find something called the God's Eye, which is like a software, th- software thing. That will help them hack into anything with a video camera. The government wants it, but they're going to let them use it to find Statham so that they can exact revenge. And in order to do that, they have to do a side quest that involves driving cars out of a plane so that they can (laughs) rescue uh, Nathalie Emanuel, who is the best hacker in the world. She invented it. She created the God's Eye. Yes. Um, This movie... So, first of all, the Fast and Furious franchise is sort of infamously about family. You have Dominic Toretto, who, as far as I can tell, just finds broken people to imprint upon him like ducklings uh, and (laughs) fold them into his increasingly crime-based crew. (laughs) No, I I feel like it's a it's a um, uh, a bell curve of crime like you do a lot of crime and then you get good enough that the FBI is like now you're doing legitimate crime like you've gone from crime to Mission Impossibles well it is important to remember that in the first movie of this franchise uh, Dominic and his girlfriend Michelle Rodriguez were part of a crew that was hijacking trucks to steal combination TV DVD players uh, a perfectly re- re- respectable job in the year 2002. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> Lud- I-, I think it was Ludacris had the uh, OPRF zone Ludacris had the amazing line in this movie of like, I started with this crew robbing banks and then we were doing like crazy stuff in Central America. And now we're like kidnapping hackers to deal with like international terrorists. What is even going on here? <laughs> He's he's lampshading the fact that this uh, movie series has gone from stealing DVD players to becoming Mission Impossibles. 
So was that ludicrous or was that Tyrese? I don't because remember. Uh, they I, were... tr- I believe that was Tyrese because Tyrese is the frequently the comedic relief in sure. these movies. He is a star. He's um, very he good. is also he is also the one that is delightfully self-aware about all of this. Like the one that frequently calls it out for being ridiculous. Yeah, then it probably was him then. The other thing that this franchise has started doing. Well, the other thing that this franchise is kind of built around is the completely artful way that they will have one character be a villain in a movie. And then by two movies later, that person is part of the family. I I did text you as I began watching this. Oh, is Statham the bad guy in this one? I thought he was the good guy by this point. Yeah, because because by eight, he's part of the team. Right, right. <laughs> um, The Rock is also a great example. He mm-hmm. is hunting them in five, and by six, he's recruiting them for stuff. And by this one, he's like flexing his arm so hard that he breaks a cast so that he can help them. Uh, that, like, yes. no, no piece of cinema will ever be better than that scene. <laughs> truly truly the way that the, the like the theme of found family is so strong in this movie that it is a vortex that sucks in every single character yes it also also and more importantly um, this movie knows exactly what it is at every step of the way so like uh when when kurt russell's introduced he taps a keg of Belgian ale and is like, oh, this is delicious Belgian ale. Vin Diesel, you should have some. And Vin Diesel being Vin Diesel's like, I prefer Corona. And Kurt Russell is like, yes, I read your file and brings out a bucket of Coronas and then opens one for him and hands it to him. A branded bucket of Corona. That he stole from a bar, obviously. (laughs) Um, He's Mr. Nobody. He has, he he can get whatever he needs. Right, right. Yeah, by, by stealing stuff from bars. Yeah. Um, but again, like watching that scene, I'm just like, ah, oh, this movie knows exactly what it is. Oh, yes. Um, you also have literal family, because by this point, Brian has married Dominic's sister, who has birthed one child and is pregnant with another. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also the last movie that Paul Walker appeared, the last Fast and the Furious movie that Paul Walker appears in um, before he he passed away during filming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it includes a very emotional ending as a tribute to him um, that when I was watching it, I had forgotten this was that movie. I thought that was an eight. So I, I got to the end and I was not prepared for it i had the exact same uh situation i thought it was eight as well and until the ending when i was like oh this clearly was the last one for him well Um, and this is another this is another one that gets a little bit meta because part of the reason that tribute is so heartfelt is because he and vin diesel were very good friends yeah so you have a little bit of reality bleeding into um, the fabric of the movie. I don't. I don't know that they were as close as brothers. I can't speak to that. But they were clearly very close. I mean, like they were spearheading seven of these films, and their chemistry on screen like shows. Although Vin Diesel is not in two or three. Hmm. Really, he's not in Paul two. Walker, okay. Paul Walker. Paul Walker's not in three. Right. Like three is all about Han. Yes. Um. But anyway, I digress. Um. So you have sort of the literal family connections, but literal family connections that are the result of this very strong found family um, feeling. Because I, I would argue that Brian's connection to Dom is being forged at the same time as his connection to Mia, Dom's sister. Yes. So that all Be- gets Because Mia was part of the crew. I mean, she was in high school, so sort of. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, college, probably. Sure. Um, you you know this franchise better than I, so. Yeah, Jordana Brewster, that actress in real life, couldn't be in two because she was off graduating from Yale. Oh, well, good on her. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, this is another example of that family forged in crime. So the more crimes we commit together, the more we trust each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more like the potential for betrayal becomes that much more. It's why eight is so effective. 
Um, I know we're not talking about eight, but the whole premise of eight is that Charlize Theron convinces Dominic to turn on his family. What, 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 what? Yes, which was in the trailers. Like, that was the whole, that's the whole hook for advertising that movie. Right. Is that for some reason, and I'm not going to spoil it because you should watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I am planning on watching probably all eight of these movies. I have no interest in watching Hobbs and Shaw. Um, <gasps> no, it's really good. Is it? Uh, well, truly, truly, I, it's super fun. I'll, I'll I'll see how I'm feeling um, when I get to the end of eventually and inevitably watching all eight of the say, of the main timelines. Again, these movies are so good that by the end of eight, you're going to be like, oh, actually, I do want to watch a movie that's all about The Rock and Jason Statham interacting. (laughs) Turn turn my brain off for a couple hours and just bask in that. Oh, yeah. No, their whole story there. The two of them, their whole story in eight is all about, you know, you want to watch this other movie. (laughs) So uh, Martin came in like halfway through this movie, a movie that we've definitely already watched and she had no memory of. And was just like, what, what, what? It's like, okay, you have to realize that these are all just superheroes. Like, yes, it's not a superhero movie, but they're all superheroes. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and it's why it's how they can also get away with the fact that no one really dies in them. Right. Like, because again, you can't kill the bad guys because in two episodes they have to become part of the family. Right. Like, Letty dies in four and is back by six, mm-hmm. so... Well, and actually, that that's also part of the found family part, is that, like, Letty, who is uh, Toretto's, um... Was it just girlfriend or wife? It was wife, because there's the whole necklace thing. Yeah. Um, dies, comes back amnesiac, and this, ep- this movie episode... Uh, this movie is... They're basically episodes. This movie is all about, like, them trying to refigure that out. Um, yeah, six is about six is about getting Letty back on the team, um, finding out she doesn't remember anything and convincing her to come back anyway. Because she's acting with the bad guys in six. Yes. OK, yeah. Her last line in I, six, they're they're back in their house in L.A. And Dom is like, does any of this feel familiar? And her last line is no, but it feels like home. Mm, feels like family. Um, exactly. I, it's all you have to remember it's always all about family so is is six the one that ends with the big back out grill out where they're all drinking coronas like three of them end that way but yes i absolutely thought that seven ended that way so when it didn't and it ended with paul walker driving off into the sunset um i was not disappointed but i again i i have like five six and seven all totally jumbled up in my mind i thought that the um uh the big action set piece in act two for this movie where they drive the car across like three different buildings, um, which is amazing. Uh, I thought that was in six. Um, and then I thought that there, the Corona grill out scene was in this one. Yeah. Six has them. Six has them trying to stop a plane from taking off. Hmm. Uh, so let's hit some big picture questions. Mm hmm. Um, I am very interested. So I was looking for something more scholarly to back this up. And I really only have anecdotal evidence, but found family is like a trope of story that is extremely popular. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if we wanted to talk a little bit about why these kinds of stories resonate as strongly as they do with people. I think part of it is um, you've mentioned that both of these stories happen to be about like crime families, like to varying degrees of crime. Um, And I think that that's just a very like people love crime stuff. Um, We probably could have picked any mob related thing. And it's like, you know, Goodfellas. It's like, uh, you know, uh, you got the family and then you got the family. Um. And I think that's just inherently compelling to people, the idea of, like, you are all so committed to each other through your exploits, through your actions, and through the fact that we all hang together or else we will surely all hang separately um, is just something that, like, even if it has no resonance to you, is still something that is a compelling narrative to watch. Um, In the exact opposite direction, 
I think a lot of people are drawn to these stories because they might have contentions within their own families and they may or may not like, you know, it is a, a common thing that people forge their own families in one way or another, or at least tight knit friend groups. Um, you know, growing up and still to this day, I have an enormous extended family who are not actually related to me. Uh, but just because they were, you know, my mom grew up South side, Chicago, Irish, and everyone else around her was also South side, Chicago, Irish. And she got real close to one of those families and they're all my aunts and uncles and cousins, even though, you know, the only connection is that they all grew up on the same block together back in the 50s and 60s. That is actually, that is something that I kind of wanted to touch on. I feel like this is not a uniquely millennial experience, but definitely something that has become more popularized with the Gen X and millennial generations mm. is this, not lack of, but... um the end of kind of treating the nuclear family as a sacred entity mm -hmm. and um, moving away from this idea that like, oh, well, you know, the family you're born with, like they're your family, you have to stick with them. And then it's like, well, but if my family is truly terrible, I don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming to realize that we have the freedom to find our own families if our um, biological or blood families are abusive or terrible people or, you know, for whatever reason are not fulfilling our needs. Like we, I like, we have moved away from the idea of the nuclear family as a sacred object. Yeah. And have been allowed to explore the freedom to name our family on our own terms. I, I, uh, I'm like, on the one hand, I want to pull back a little because it's like, I think that there is still the push for the nuclear family in a lot of places, but that is definitely different from that is the end all be all of what, of what every family must look like. Um, well, and I would which ask is what you, it is as the sacred you, object. I would ask you where that pushback is coming from. I mean, I, I think there are absolutely people of our generation, like, not necessarily us, but, like, you know, our generation is pretty big. And there are definitely people who strive and want that that nuclear family. Um, the, the joy of having a large generational cohort, the joy and pain of having a large generational cohort, is that some people do A, some people do B, and some people do 3. Um, yeah, and, I, w I would say that it is... At least among my social circles, having like valuing a close knit group of friends or prioritizing a close knit group of friends over your biological family connections for whatever reason, and I am not saying this critically, um, but I I see that more hmm. in my social circles. I my social circles are more that. We highly value a close-knit group of friends, but not to the exclusion of the, like, nuclear family, biological family. Um, you know, well, we... and I, I would say, so, like, I am very close to my biological family. Um, I am very fortunate in that I have a great relationship with both my parents and my sister. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that I also feel that I have the freedom to kind of choose who I think of as family makes me value those connections even more mm -hmm. because I also, I also have friends who come from like shit families and yeah. have made the choice to um, disconnect from those, which is also a valid choice. Like we get to make those decisions and knowing that I, that if I felt the need to, I could do that kind of make, makes me value the relationships that I have with my nuclear family, like even more. Right. And, and like, I guess what I was trying to get at was like in the fifties and sixties, the idea of disconnecting from your family was just so much out of it, much more out of the mainstream. It was, it was a much bigger thing. Um, whereas now, obviously there are still strong ties of blood, but as you're saying, like, there are people like us who have good relationships with our families and, and you know, are very happy to have them and prioritize them, but also 
we can choose to make other choices, and also people who don't have those good relationships can also choose to. And it's still obviously a traumatic and difficult choice to make, but it's a choice that is less immediately leading to ostracization of the friend group. Um, assuming you have a good friend group. Um, and so I like that. What all? What all? I'm getting at here is like you were saying. It's it is no longer the sacred object, and it is still probably the primary object. But it is no longer on its like on its altar, on its sacred pedestal. It is merely the still. I I still think it's like the prime and preferred goal of a lot of people. But it's no longer the only acceptable like goal by society. If that makes sense. Well, I also, I also might be splitting hairs that don't need splitting. I just, I, I feel like there were <laughs> generations before us where you did not have a choice or you had the perception of not having a choice. Like you just right. dealt with it because they were your family. Right. And I, I feel like our, our generation and for Gen X, that's not the case anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's it's all of which is leading up to me saying having stories like this not only show you that it's okay to build your own families, but that, in fact, a a found family or a constructed family can be stronger and healthier and better for you, um, which hopefully is helpful to people who do come from toxic family environments to help them have um, like good examples of what found of what like healthy found family looks like. Although don't do crimes with your found family. I, I was just about to say this might not be anything because I haven't thought it through, but taking what you just said and then also taking the thing that we've talked about, which is that most of the the found families that, you know, both of our episode both of our homeworks and also many other examples are either crime families or boat families. Um and I'm using boat here in a facetious way, but like, you know, you're on a ship. Um do you think that has any negative or things that we need to be critical about in the way that we're presenting found families in media? Like, on the one hand, I understand why these are, like, go-to found family archetypes, because you take people unrelated to each other, you put them through a crucible of you're stuck together on a boat or you're doing crimes together, uh, and that's a really good way to forge a family, you know, connection. Um, and I'm also obviously not saying that people who are forging their own families uh are you know doing crimes together um uh but like looking at sort of the broad spectrum of like shows like this and, and movies like this are good to show people that like you can choose your own family is it is it problematic worrisome dangerous what have you if 90 percent of our examples are uh crimes or you know isolate like isolated um units who are forged under like duress rather than like groups that hopefully are coming together through like common bonds of of friendship and not duress well but i would argue that that's what out of gas like out of gas's purpose is to show you that this is a family that came together through choice. Like their bonds have strengthened through crime, but the beginning of it was not like, mm -hmm. this is a choice they made. They came together like that, that I, I, I think that um, out of gas is pulling back from that trauma bonding a little bit, just to remind us all that like, at the end of the day, these people got together because they liked each other mm -hmm. and like they felt at home on this ship and, you know, all have sort of a moral flexibility that allows for the doing of crimes. Right. Um, but 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 like crime is not what brought them together. It was, you know, the the, the love of the ship, the love of the, the of each other, et cetera. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, anything else you want to talk about on this, or does that feel like a pretty good grace note to end on? I was going to say, that's about all I got. Um, well, great. Well, thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, this was a fun episode, and with some truly fun homeworks, I'm probably this summer going to watch all the Furious, Fast and Furious movies. 
They're so good. <laughs> Works uh, of art. <laughs> truly all of them, and that's not facetious. Um The ninth one is coming out in June. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Oh, my goal my goal was to have the ninth movie be my first back in the theater for a new release experience. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, it's coming up before the Green Knight, so uh, that's an acceptable goal. <laughs> um, well, you can find us on uh, any podcatcher that you're currently using. You know where to find us because you're listening to us, but you should rate and review us. That's how the algorithm helps bump us up. And more importantly, tell other people about the show. That is, as always, one of your homework assignments. You can follow the show on social media, which is Twitter and Instagram, at DYDYHpodcast. And you can follow us on Facebook, if you're still using Facebook, uh, by searching just Did You Do Your Homework Podcast. You can also email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Martha, where can people find you and what else are you plugging? Uh, You can find me on all the places at Magical Martha, uh, including my newsletter that I write whenever I feel like it. Uh, tinyletter.com forward slash magical Martha. Uh, my last episode or my last issue rather was about all of the things I wished I'd talked about on our new Testament episode. And my next issue will probably be about all of the movies that I think should have made indie wires list of the best comedies of the 20th century. <laughs> that list their was list, wild. Their list was nonsense. <laughs> Uh, I also do another podcast called Love Ya that updates on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays where uh, Pete's wife Marn and I watch a rom-com or a teen film that is easily streamable somewhere and dissect it for your listening pleasure. Any idea what the next episode is? Your last episode uh, no. was German. Yes. Uh, I, however, do not remember the name of our next episode. Um, I will have to look that up on my Netflix queue where I have it bookmarked. <laughs> nice. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Um, and yeah, you know, give me a follow if you're down with that. Uh, Our next episode is uh, very exciting. We are starting a three-episode run of uh, Westerns. Uh, June is the month of Westerns. Um, Possibly by next episode we'll have a catchy title for this little mini-series. But we're going to start with a look, an exploration of the Western as a... Uh, 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 exploring the conflict between the frontier and the civilization, sort of the end of the frontier. And for our homeworks for our next episode, Martha is assigning the 1969 Sam Peckinpah film The Wild Bunch, and I am assigning the first five episodes of HBO's 2004 TV show Deadwood. Uh, Now I know five episodes is Quite a lot, especially since these are hour-long episodes, but episode 5 really is hitting the idea of the conflict of forging a civilization out of a frontier space, um, and what to do when there's some law breaking in a place where there is no actual formal law. Uh, And in order to get to that episode, we need to sort of lay the groundwork through episodes 1 through 4. So, uh, that's what we're doing. We're doing The Wild Bunch and the first five episodes of Deadwood. So that's what we'll be talking about in two weeks. And until then, uh, keep subscribing to this feed so that you can listen to that Love Ya episode. And uh, until two weeks from now, make sure that you do your homework. Class dismissed. Before you you got to the theater, uh, Lizzie was talking about there's some theater in Chicago area uh, that will uh, let you rent it out and then play video games there. Like you can bring in your console and all the rest of it. Uh huh. So I was joking that it's a good thing you didn't know about that. Otherwise, your birthday would have been come there and watch Martha play Mass Effect on no, the big screen that. for have, for as long as they as, as long as they rent it out for. I was gonna say I would not have invited anybody else. <laughs> Listen, it's my birthday. I I want to hang out with people, but what we're doing is I'm playing Mass Effect for three hours on a big screen, and you're gonna watch me. Actually, by 
by the time my party happened, I was not deep into Mass Effect for to get to like three hours of like Solid this would content. look really cool on a big screen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still yeah. very much in the beginning phases. Right. But uh <laughs> but like really you want like Mass Effect two for that big screen yes. action. Yeah. Or the like the last um the last charge scene in Mass Effect three. Mm, mm-hmm. 